Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Red. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. I trust that the echo is gone, Tom C. Yvette Avery Herod is in the house. We also have Tom C, Bridge MCP, AVQ. AVQ, how are you doing? We'd like to know the status of your condition. All right, let's hear the status of your condition, AVQ. Uh, and it seems to me, AVQ, Mr. Rodney, that... Somebody beat you to the punch today. Bridge MCP beat you to the punch. Our two stars, and they're running one after the other. And Bridge MCP came out ahead today. She beat him by the punch or by the by, by the sliver. Anyhow, folks, welcome aboard. We also have Melanie Keelan in from Barcelona, Spain. Anyhow, folks, great to have you here. Great to be here with you all. We are going to have a marvelous show today. Uh, we have a, a, a one that I'm doing with El Senor Perkins. It's a, it's a fairly long interview, so I want to get started real quick. Uh, let's see. Alan Weisenberg, former CEO of the Trump Organization, has been sentenced to five months behind bars for financial crimes he committed while working there. According to uh, Bridge MCP, he must also pay 1.9 million penalties and back taxes. Amazing. Everybody is going to jail, but Trump. Come on, we got to get Trump involved as well. Katie Porter, Congresswoman, is running for uh, the Senate. And the guys are pissed off. How dare she ask for that? I mean, announce that she's running for Senate during the massive floods in California because probably she wanted to beat the guys to the punch and she did the right thing. We need to ensure that uh, that this, this position isn't staged, that this position has all the options for the folks who need to win. And, and look, who would make a better senator? Who would make a better senator than Katie Porter, one of my political idols? I love that woman. She is so good at, at, at telling the story. All right, Bridge, last one says, some won't. Like this, a new nation, new ideas. A study finds immigrants out innovate native, a fascinating new working paper. The economists link patent records to more than 250 million social security numbers. With this incredible data set, they are to suss out who among patent holders are immigrants by cross referencing their year of birth and the year they were assigned their social security number. The economists find that between 1990 and 2016, 16% of all U.S. inventors were immigrants. More than that, they find that the, on the average immigrant is substantially more productive than the average U.S.-born inventor. Immigrant uh, inventors produce almost a quarter of all patents during the period. These patents were pro disproportionately likely to be cited, a sign that they were valuable to their fields and seems to have more financial value from the typical native-born patent. The economists also find Evidence suggesting that immigrant inventors help native-born inventors become more productive. All in all, the economists estimate that immigrants are responsible for roughly 36% of innovations in America, e-born Americans. Look, it's not, it's, that's not surprising. And, and there's a statistical reason why that you can, you can put that claim out there. And I mean, rather, I shouldn't say it's an empirical reason why. And let me give an example. The folks who have the wherewithal to leave any country and reestablish themselves in a new country, in effect, they are, I don't want to call it a cut above, that's not the right terminology, but it shows that they have the wherewithal to get the hell out of a situation that, that holds them back. 
So what do you think they're going to do when they come to the United States that gives them ample opportunity to produce? Of course, the pool in America is everybody. The pool that we're getting from overseas or from another country is the creme de la creme in the, in the aggregate because these are people who are able to fight their way out uh, into something that they want to do. So it's not by accident that you would see that uh, immigrants do much better with patents and, and just about everywhere in the aggregate, not on an individual basis, in the aggregate. And the reason why is the population set that becomes immigrants compared to the population set of America at large, they're very distinct. One is forwardly mobile all of the times, and the other one has the whole range. So it's not surprising at all that 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 realization uh Michael Rodney says Republicans plan the opening move, dismantle of office congressional ethics, telling they don't want to uh, be investigated for they don't for they've done uh, or what to do. This is the end result of pushing the 14th Amendment challenges to seditionists. Egberto, there's only one topic today. What happened to Republican promises about what they were going to do? When they got power, instead of doing anything good for American people, Republicans are one of the subjects, and that is Social Security. They want to cut Social Security, Medicare, but leave military intact. In so we'll talk about that as well. But after the long interview, public citizen first moved by the new House Republican majority, shuttle ethics and accountability. Yes, the Guardian House Republicans aim to rein in ethics body. Oh, you meant your only main uh, pieces on ethics. I got you now, Rudnan. All right, I get it. We'll talk about that a little later. Let's go ahead and get the interview started. But before that, I want to salute everybody, including Eric Hayes, Melanie Keelan, Melanie Keelan, Eric Hayes. Uh, and uh, who else do I, did I miss anybody? Alistair Waters. Uh, I see somebody saluted you, but I don't see you in here, Alistair. I see somebody uh, saluting you. Okay, bam, 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 bam. All right, let's go ahead and get the interview started. This is the one that I wanted to return to because somebody mentioned it on my KPFT show. And I said, yes, I interviewed that guy and the interview was solid. Check it out. Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. We have a great guest today. John Perkins. John Perkins is an author and activist with 10 books on global intrigue, shamanism, and transformation, including his new book, Touching the Jaguar, Shapeshifting, and the Classic Confessions of an Economic Hitman, has been uh, it on the New York Times bestseller list for more than 70 weeks, sold over 2 million copies, and are published in 35 languages. Fortune 500, or rather, uh, as a chief economist at a major consulting firm, he advised the World Bank, University, United Nations, Fortune 500 corporations, U.S. and other governments. He regularly speaks at universities, economic forums, and shamanic uh, gatherings around the world, and is a founder and board member of the nonprofit organizations, the Pachamama Alliance and Dream Change. John Perkins, welcome to Politics Unread. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Egberto. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here with you. Hey, look, it, uh, let me tell you, it's great having you. Um, I Before I interviewed you, I listened to a whole lot of your work. Uh, you know, uh, and in watching what you had to say, I mean, I I know the people at Politics Done Right are going to love you. I know that the people in the different domains where we are are going to get some inspiration from you because what you're talking about are things that we need to talk about. Now, 
There is a breakdown of your book. And before we get into the, the, the new stuff, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, you had a little snippet that really rang aloud. It says, life is composed of a series of coincidences over which we have no control. Once we are presented with such coincidences, we gave choices. How we respond, the actions we take in the face of coincidence makes all the difference. COVID-19 has changed everything. What can we get out of that coincidence? Yeah, well, that's, that is, Gerta, <laughs> before we get started, I just want to show you that I'm surrounded by Jaguars. Here's... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's actually a little American kid, but she looks a lot like a baby jaguar. The reason I bring it up is because you may hear her meow once in a while, and that's that's her. She's only eight that's weeks perfect. old. Very, very curious. So this coincidence that's hit us uh, of the COVID-19 and also all that's going on around police brutality, white privilege, white, you know, racial discrimination, all of this is going on. How do we deal with these things? Yes, this is our fate in a way. These are coincidences, but they're not coincidences. They're happening to us for a reason. And I like to remember a story, a true story, uh, a woman high in the Andes Mountains of Ecuador, Quechua-speaking woman named Maria Juana. What a great name, huh? Maria Juana. Mm -hmm. Maria Juana. <laughs> Maria Juana Yamberla. And, and uh, she was a shaman lady and. and I, I take groups there every year to, to her and to other shamans in many parts of Latin America. And uh, a few years back, I was translating for a group. And one of the people asked, so Maria Juana, um, how do we save the earth? And she laughed and she said, the earth is not in danger. We are. And we'll take a lot of other species with us. But right now, we're like so many fleas. And if we get to be too much of a nuisance, she'll just shake us all off. And then Maria Juana points up at this volcano that hovers over her home, high in the Andes, and she says, just a few years ago, that volcano was covered with a massive ice cap. It isn't anymore. The ice cap's gone. Pachamama, Mother Earth, is twitching. She hasn't shaken us off yet, but she's warning us. And we all listen to these messages. And you know, Egberto, that all over, during the years since then, every time there's been a major hurricane or flood or, or fire, uh, I've thought about that, but you know, we've taken these events as local. So you're in Houston. If you happen to survive a hur hurricane in Houston, Several. You, would, <laughs> you would expect the outside world to come to your rescue fairly soon, bringing in bottled water or food or, or whatever. In Houston, it might already be there, but there's parts of the world you, you expect that. But so we just kind of chuck these things up to, yeah, local, we'll go back to normal. This virus. And now there's this awareness of, of the social and, and racial inequalities that we have uh, are hitting the whole world. You know, this is no longer a local event. There is no outside world. And so each time Pachamama is speaking to us, and you can look at this completely from the scientific standpoint, you know, of, of the, the, we've cut back on our economic growth and it's, it's changed things. The animals are coming back and many, you can see stars in places where we ever saw stars before. Imagine that, yeah. Imagine that. Or you can look at it shamanically. The earth is a living creature that speaks to us. But either way, we're being told that we've got to change. And this, this pandemic is, is, is hitting us so hard. But I got to say, you know, if we don't listen, if we don't, 
if we don't change as a result of this permanently, if we don't realize there's got to be a new normal, we've got to go from an old failing system to a new one that will be regenerative and work, we'll probably get hit even harder next time. And, you know, I, I actually think uh, we are not even through a first phase here. So this could actually be the time. Now, uh, in, in several of uh, the, the, the talks that you've had, you've talked about empire. And one one thing about empire is that they all fall. How they fall is kind of interesting. One of the things you've said is, well, you don't want this to fall. You want us as activists to really get involved to make sure that we don't fall. But what we do is change. Now, um, COVID-19, I see this, I see the way the rest of the world responds to it and how we are. And we are dramatically worse than, let's say, China and the European Union, which are doing fairly well comparatively. Uh, do you think this is one of the things that could actually break, destroy us as being the leading empire? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 absurd when you think about it, isn't it? That the wealthiest country in the history of the world is also the one country that can't seem to really handle the virus, and we should be able to. Uh, we we spend as much money on military as the next ten countries combined, and we build these defense systems that aren't helping us in the least bit defend ourselves from this this thing that's it's, it's killed more people than World War One or or Vietnam and Korea combined more of our soldiers. And and uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're being shown the empire was already in decline. Uh, we all know that China has been slowly, not even, not very slowly, but <laughs> replacing, you know, moving in to take over a superpower. Uh, you know, you're from Panama. I, I just came back from Central America and South America. I spent a lot of time and, and China's having huge impacts throughout the, the, you know, the Southern Hemisphere. And yeah, this, and, and we're being shown here. China's got a much bigger population, but it's dealt with this virus much better. One of the things I find very, very interesting uh, is that, so China has a basically a dictatorship, an authoritarian government, but everybody listens to it and respects it. And when they tell you to wear masks, you, they wear masks. And the United States, we, we elect our government, but we don't listen to it. So, you know, and even the, even the government doesn't listen to itself, you know. <laughs> Trump, is not wearing, Trump is not wearing a mask, even though all of, all, of his, all of his medical advisors tell us all we should be wearing masks. What does that say about us? You know, it's, it's very, very interesting how, how this is happening. Well, you know, you speak a lot about capitalism and you, you came from a... Uh, first of all, tell me a little bit, before you, before you made your transition... You were an economist. You were uh, you worked in in the field. You were a true capitalist, weren't you? Yes, yes, and and, and I guess I would say I, I am a capitalist in the purest sense of the word. That capitalism, to me, the, def the, the definition of capitalism is it's a system where the the means of production and, and commerce are not owned by the government; they're owned by individuals, and it has healthy, fair competition. Uh, well. We have a system that where, where the means of production are not owned by the government, they're owned by individuals, but the individuals own the government. So we've turned this around in the United States, where we know that nobody gets elected. That's a policy, yeah. Yeah. And we don't have fair competition. 
you know, the, we've got oligarchies and monopolies. And yeah, you may in, in your local community, there might be two coffee shops vying with each other uh, competitively. But if Starbucks comes in, it can drive them both out of business. The same with, with all kinds of stores that, 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 that Walmart or, or one of the big box companies could, will drive out of business. So we what, what we have today, I think, is, is something we could call a global, uh, a, a global predatory capitalism. It's an aberrant of capitalism. It's not. It's not the. It's not the purest form. My grandson's lemonade stand is capitalism. Right. And all the little local markets, farmers markets. That's capitalism. And what we have today is something that's taken that right. to okay. an extreme. It's a very. It's an extreme that's destroying uh, the planet as we know it. Well, you know, I've decided not to. Uh, on, on, in, in my narrative, I've decided right now, just to let capitalism be what the current capitalists decide they want it to be and use the very simple term, I surely believe in free enterprise. And by leaving it at free enterprise, I leave the capitalism to those who are doing with capitalism what they do with capitalism to make the argument or to make the discussion rather simple. But um, in, 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 in questioning uh, our current form of capitalism uh, that we have right now, uh, we know it's not sustainable. How do we migrate? How do we migrate to what we should have? And what do you call what we should have? Based so on sustainability book, and everything else. Yeah, so the book, uh, Touching the Jaguar, Transforming Fear into Action to Change Your Life in the World, is totally based, I mean, the, the main, a main theme is that uh, reality is molded by our perceptions. And so, you know, you, you, you've got this perception behind you of a world that's on fire and, and it's an ocean that's on fire. And that's a perception of what can, can happen. And, but, but let's, let's, make, let's, let's not let it happen. <laughs> you know, let's, but let's be on fire spiritually and intellectually to turn this thing around. This, what we have today is an economic system that a lot of economists are referring to as a death economy. It's more than economic, it's a governmental social economic system. And it's based on one perception. And that perception is that the only goal of business should be to maximize short-term profits, essentially for a few wealthy individuals. Milton Friedman. Yeah, that's right. Milton Friedman, 1976, won the Nobel Prize and said that the only responsibility is to maximize short-term profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. And that's created this system that, that gives CEOs the right, even the mandate, to do whatever they think is necessary to maximize short-term profits. And that includes destroying long-term resources upon which their very business depends. It, it, it includes destroying the environment. It, it, it includes exploiting people. It, it includes races, racism. It, it, it includes corrupting politicians and now they you can corrupt politicians legally you know campaign financing and so forth is legal but that's a form of corruption there's no question about it it's from the strictest from, from the from the from the deepest sense of citizens that. united mccutcheon yeah yeah so so we've created this perception I mean, we've, we've used this perception of maximizing profits to create an economic system that today is failing us and but all we have to do is change our perception and turn it around to the, 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 the goal of business is to maximize long-term benefits for people and nature. That we pay investors a decent rate of return to pay people to clean up the environment, uh, to 
rejuvenate destroyed resources, devastated, it rejuvenated devastated environments, and to create new technologies, to recycle, to create technologies that use wind and, and, and solar much more efficiently even than we are today, that, that create energy from air and, and so on and so forth. There's such an amazing opportunity here for us to create what we can call a life economy, an economic system that is itself regener regenerative and is, is itself a renewable resource. All we have to do is change our perception so that the Time Magazine's person of the year becomes you or becomes whoever is doing is taking a leadership role in transforming the death economy to a life economy. And, you know, we, it's, it's a simple change of perception. Now, a simple change of perception that requires work. <laughs> yes. But the starting point is to change our definition of what it means to be successful human beings on this planet. No longer it's about accumulation of material things and, and maximization of that. It's now about long-term benefits, but what we might even call spirituality. I, I love I love the way you put that, the change of perception, because that, that is present. That, I mean, that is extremely important. Um, I have interviewed real capitalists, and sorry for not calling you a real capitalist, but I've inter interviewed real capitalists, and we've been on panels before, and uh, when I proposed certain types of policies, they would say things like, uh, well, how would that affect business? And my answer to them is, what comes first, humanity or business? I said, right now, we create business and force humanity to uh, adapt to what to, to business. Should we adapt business to the needs of humanity first? And in, in, in and, and a corollary to that would be the needs to humanity vis-a-vis -vis the need of the environment, the need of everything that makes things sustainable. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I totally agree with you. There's no question about it. Um, the question is, how do we get, how do we make that happen? And I, I have to say, that I speak at a lot of the economic forums. I was recently speaking at 12, one of which was 12,000 people there in, in St. Petersburg, Russia, including President Putin and Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, uh, Gutierrez and, and others. And, you know, in these conferences, I, I meet with CEOs and people in high positions afterwards, or all kinds of people from the United States, big corporations at this, these meetings. And during the over a glass of wine and cheese as a reception, you know, we have a talk and they'll say, you know, I like your ideas and I want my company to be very green. I have children. I have grandchildren. But I know that if if in the process of being green, I lose half a percentage of market share, I'll be fired. My main investors will fire me and replace me with someone who only cares about market share. <coughs> That's a dilemma that these people are in, regardless of what their beliefs are. And they'll say to me, so please, as you're speaking to people, as you're speaking to this show right now, uh, ask, the, ask the viewers to send me an email. So I, I would say, you know, any viewer, pick a corporation, Walmart, Nike, Exxon, whatever corporation you want, and write them emails or tweets or whatever and say, hey, I love your product, but I'm not going to buy it anymore until you pay your workers in Indonesia a fair salary or, or if clean up the environment, you've, the, the oil spills, you've done whatever it is. And, and, and send it to them and send it to all your social networking circles and ask them to send it to the company and ask them to send to all their social networking circles. And when executives have enough of these, they can go to their top investors and say, hey, we got to listen to our uh, 
we've got to listen to our to these things. There's hundred thousand of these. These come from our customers. We've got to listen to them. And so I, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to excuse executives. And you know, there are obviously some that are sociopaths, but they also have to listen to their customers. <laughs> and but I am saying that you know they're ruled by Wall Street. They're ruled by the investors, and they know that. And these guys are vulnerable. We, the people, the consumers, the employer, the employees, the consumers, the employees, and the investors, us, we have to make these changes happen. You know, John, in listening to you and listening to your narrative, there's a certain dichotomy. Um, I, I hear you are an environmentalist. You want sustainability. You want all these things. But I, I, I still see you uh, very vested, and tell me if I'm wrong, very vested within the corporate structure as if, let's say, the, the policy of, let's say, stocks, corporate, where there are shareholders, corporations, uh, leading down in sort of a hierarchical manner towards then employees and otherwise. Do I understand that right? Or Well, yeah, I think I, it's fair to say I'm, I'm, I'm an idealist. Maybe a visionary, and that I, I see how it takes perception. First, it comes the perceptual change, and then you have to touch the jaguar that keeps you from realizing the perception. And in this case, a big jaguar is the corporations. Uh, the corporations control the world right now. Tr truly, I mean, you know, absolutely, yeah. And and so. It, it, it doesn't do any good to say, let's get rid of corporations, because I don't see that happening, not in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe it'll happen in your lifetime, but but maybe it'll happen in my grandson's lifetime. But right now, it's what we're dealing with. This is the power structure. And, there's a, way, and there's a way to get in there and change the power structure. And we, the people, have the power to do that if we just come together to okay. do it. It's about changing perception. That, that, that's a great clarification because, um, you know, my my theory, uh, first of all, I, I get exactly what I I think that is how those people who are voting for uh, Biden, let's say me inclusive, uh, would be looking for uh, a, a change, not not getting the particular change uh, that we want. But it is and I don't want to call incremental change because I've written against incremental change, but getting 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 the necessary step to move to the change that we actually want. So um, my, my concern is with all the things that we want, I cannot see a system in which there are, uh, there are investors of the type that we have today, shareholders of the type that we have today, where uh, personal, where people's values and people's needs would take precedence over profits. I, I don't know if that is possible. Tell me. I, I, I totally believe it is possible. If I didn't, I wouldn't be on the show with you. I wouldn't be writing things. I, I, you know, I just go out and, you know, I wouldn't no, do that. No, no, no. I think you misunderstood my question. What I'm saying is I, I think we have to change the modus operandi if we are to, uh, if we are to really get to a, a type of, uh, of system where humanity comes first. Yes, yes. And, and I think we've been on that path even before the virus hit us. I think, you know, B corporations, benefit corporations. Yes. My, my, my publisher was the first publisher to become a B corporation and then a benefit corporation. Conscious capitalism, you know, the Green New Deal. Uh, the fact that last August, 192 of the 
most powerful executives in the world came together at the business roundtable, and they made a statement that basically supported the life economy. They said, we no longer can, can focus on maximizing short-term profits. So we can't do that any longer. We've got to move into a system that takes better care of our employees and, and our, 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 our customers and our supply chains and the environment. They, they said this. Now, they said this. That's a perception change that they're already going through. But now we, the people, have to take the action to make sure that they adhere to that. You know, I'm reminded of Franklin Roosevelt at the end of World War II. He, he was meeting with the top executives of the auto industry's uh, labor unions. At the end of the meeting, he's shaking hands with them as they're all leaving the Oval Office. And he says, I think you guys now understand that I'm on your side. I want to do what you want me to do. you got to go out there now and get your rank and file to force me to do it because that's the only way I can deal with Congress and, and, and the big corporations. You've got to push. And I think that's where we are now, is I think many of these executives understand it. Those sociopaths are not, who don't understand it. They're, they What they do understand is success. And if we define success as short-term maximization of profit, that's what they'll go for. That's what they are going for. But if we turn that around and, and Time Magazine and Fortune Magazine, all these people, if we start honoring the, the executives and the politicians and the media people who are moving toward a life economy, then the sociopaths, that's, if that's the route, 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 route to success, to fame and fortune, <laughs> however they define it, they will, get, they will get on the bandwagon. So we, the people, have to push this thing. This is We're talking about true democracy here globally. You know, that isn't unlike, you know, I got stopped by an officer um, and, uh, and it was one of those driving white, wild black issues. And I got stopped by this officer and this officer, after stopping me and having a conversation, he turned out to be very, very nice. And uh, I was going to the radio station where I was doing my show. And uh, I, I went back to, well, after he stopped me and he, he just gave me a warning, no tickets or whatever, shouldn't have stopped me in the first place. But I went back just because of the dialogue that we had. And I said, hey, you know what? Let's take a picture together because this this was something that turned out pretty good to me. And I, then I went to the radio station and I, I talked about it, wrote a blog about it. And then this guy got a commendation after I wrote the blog and it went viral. But I got hell from the left. That is what he was supposed to do in the first place. And I said, well, maybe if we start rewarding people for doing good things, they will start to do good things. They would like the feeling of doing good things and do it. So I guess that is similar to what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love that story. And and it, 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 I know you don't mean it to in any way uh, smooth over the the, the the terrible brutality that's also been going on. No, so no, no, all, not at all. Not at all. No, no, I know that. And, and, and they're, you know, I mean, they're, the, the good cops are in very difficult positions too, but it's it goes back to what I I think I said earlier that you know if we if if everybody writes a letter or an email or a tweet to a corporation and you don't you don't start by saying hey Nike I hate you because you're not paying your workers in Indonesia or India fairs salary no 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 you say Nike I love your products I love your products but I'm not going to buy them anymore until you pay your workers a fair salary or whatever it is, or, you know, I don't mean to pick on just Nike, but any company. And, and I think that's the way people respond much more strongly to positive actions like what, like what you expressed uh, there. 
And yes, uh, sometimes we will take we'll take grief for this. You know, I take a lot of grief for saying, uh, I, I, you know, for sometimes defending the idea of capitalism like we did. And I'm, I'm pretty careful to say, you know, I'm not defending the current form of capitalism. Well, I mean, you, you heard me give a little bit of pushback on uh, on capitalism as well, because I mean, I, I heard that, you know, I mean, you have access that, that I guess. That is that's a good thing, right? Because uh, the fact that you take the stance in the manner in the stance that you take, and the fact that you are in that domain, you have the ability to be that interface. Yeah, and there, you all. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just I apologize for the background noise. That's oh my, no, I love it. I, I love can't it. fall off the window. <laughs> no, no. Look, I love it, man. But uh, the the thing about it is that we always need that interface. I, I always tell people, right? Uh, we need people in every single segment, if you will. We need them in every segment. Your mic's off. Yeah, well, that was to just avoid the noise from the cat uh, <laughs> when you're talking. Uh, yeah, you know, I think we need to look at this as a, as a, as a win-win. Uh, and that's why I think we, we really need to bring these corporations around. Ultimately, it would be great to get rid of the monopolies and the oligarchies. Make, I mean, you know, there's no question about it. I'd like to see all of that end. Well, I mean, you've spoken about the corporatocracy. I've seen, yeah. I've seen things where you've, 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 yeah. you've actually... And that's why that's why I said in the first place that you are sort of a dichotomy. But in speaking to you, it's the kind of dichotomy we need. Right. Well, yeah. So so I'd like to see all of that change. And I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. I'm 74 years old. Uh, but I do think it may happen in my grandson's lifetime. He's right. 30. Um, in the meantime, uh, we need to do everything we can to move into this new perception of maximizing long-term benefits. So listen to the, so think, think of it this way. If all those big corporations ended, if they were all broken up, and if every business in the country was owned by the employees, which I think is the a great yeah. I think is a great idea. But if that were to happen and we were still driven by the perception that the goal is to maximize short-term profits, regardless of the social and environmental costs, we'd still be in deep shit. Exactly. Yes, no, you're right. Go for it. Yeah. And, and so, so that's that's a nice. It would be nice to have that system, but but we also have to first or, or simultaneously move into a new perception of what it means to be successful as businesses and as human beings. It can no longer be about maximizing short-term consumptive materialistic consumptive desires where we just you know if if i don't if i don't wear this shirt i'm not going to get to be on your show <laughs> i mean that whole idea that if, if i don't buy the right clothes if i don't drive the right car i'm not going to get a good woman in my life or a good man or whatever it is i want in my life you know and we've got to move beyond that and, and regardless of who owns the companies who owns the businesses We've got to have a perception of what it means for those businesses to be successful that's in line with creating a sustainable world, a world that our children will want to inherit. Well, John, uh, I ask this question to all my guests. What haven't I asked you? And we uh, tell us for, beforehand, tell us a little bit about your new book. Well, so Touching the Jaguar is a book that really brings together the five books I wrote on indigenous people and shamanism, shape-shifting, the world is as you dream at psychonavigation, with uh, the four on, on economics and global intrigue, uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, and, and three others that have sold over two million copies. Yeah, and 
And so this brings them together. And I've always seen a connection between those two seemingly disparate uh, genres. But people would ask me, you know, the shamanic people, the new age people would say, you're not that, you're not that jerk. It was an economic hitman, are you? And the, and the, the business people would say, well, you're not that woo person, are you, that wrote those books on shamanism? But to me, there was always this connection, and that is that it, shamanism teaches us that perceptions control, can create reality. So does, so does quantum physics teaches the same thing and, and psychotherapy. And that's what business is all about. You know, advertising, marketing is all about using perception to change the reality of what people buy, what they do. And so I saw that connection, but it was never expressed overtly in the books. Now, confessions, now touching the Jaguar, transforming fear into action to change your life in the world does that. And it does it through a lot of stories that I hope are fun to read and exciting because I, I write in, you know, true stories, uh, narrative nonfiction. But in the end, too, it leaves people with a process that every one of us, every one of you, every one of your listeners uh, can use to make them to, to bring a better life to, to them individually and create a better world. And so there's this there's this 10 minute process that you can do once a day or once a week that takes you there it basically revolves around five questions that we can ask ourselves and the answers then take us into this route where no matter whether you're a tv or a radio host or a writer or a carpenter or a plumber or a parent or whatever you are we all have a role to play in this and it's it's important touching the jaguar means identifying what, what, what we most want in our lives and identifying what blocks us. What are the barriers? What are the voices telling you, you can't do this? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you don't have enough education, whatever. And when we touch those voices, what kind of a change of perception do we get that allows us to move into actions that let us move into what it is we most desire? It's process in there that, 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 that goes into that. And that's, that's, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, to provide people with the backstories that will inspire them to know that we can do this, to talk about the death versus the life economy, and then to leave them with a practice that they all can do that will, will uh, you know, take them on a journey into this whole adventure that we're on right now. Because let's face it, we've, we're living in an amazing time. We're, we're, we're very, I think we're, very, we're all very blessed to live in this time. I don't mean to downplay the suffering and the people that have died and suffered throughout this on, on, on the racial issues and the pandemic issues. But this is an amazing work of being shaken awake when the, you know, Pachamama is twitching very hard, very hard right now. Exactly. Well, uh, now, John, what would you have liked me to ask you that I haven't asked you? What are those five questions that we can, each person can ask himself? That's you what tell I would ask me. What are the <laughs> <Okay>. five questions? <laughs> so this, and, and I, I want to say this five questions then lead you to a daily practice that makes it easy to answer the questions on a daily basis. Questions are number one, what, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? What will bring you the greatest satisfaction? And I would answer that just as an example by saying, I want to write. I like to write. I have a good friend who's a carpenter, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. He wants to work with his hands in wood. Okay, very different. The second question is, how, how do you, you do this in a way that helps other people? Because we all feel better if we're helping other people. So I would say I'm going to write stories that inspire people to make a better life for themselves and the world. My carpenter friend would say, I'm going to use sustainable materials. I want to use sustainable materials. The third question is, 
what's holding you back? What are the barriers? What are the jaguars that are keeping you from doing this? As a writer, I might say, I, I don't have enough time in my day to write every day. And the carpenter might say, well, my, my customers don't want to spend more money on sustainable materials. And so the fourth question is, when you touch that jaguar, how does it change your perception? As a writer, I'd say, well, I can get up half an hour earlier in the morning, or I can watch an hour less of television every night and create time for me to write. My carpenter friend touches the Jaguar, the Jaguar says, just tell your customers that this additional price and sustainable materials is not a cost. It's an investment. They're investing in their future and their children's future. And the fifth question is, what actions do I take every day, basically? And for a writer, it's you got to write. It doesn't have to be every day, but most every day. You got to discipline yourself to write. The carpenter has to go out there and, and build things, and 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 he doesn't have to write books about it. But he can say, "Hey, look, I just built this cabinet over here for you guys. Tell your children that you paid a little bit more for this cabinet, but you it's an investment in their future, just like an education would be or whatever. That I, you've invested in their future by building a cabinet with sustainable materials. So every one of us, doesn't matter whether a carpenter writer, a plumber, a teacher, whatever you are, every one of us can apply these. And every day, those, uh, frequently, those last three questions, what's holding me back? How do I change my perceptions? What actions do I take? Those will change. So I overcome, oh, okay, I'm now spending, I'm watching an hour less of television and I'm writing. The next day I touch is, ooh, well, what am I going to write about? Oh. I want to write about the coronavirus. I don't know enough about the coronavirus. So I touch the jaguar and it says, well, learn a little bit and then write from your heart. You know, so every day we can, we'll confront more of these things, but each time, yeah, each time we overcome them, each time we touch that jaguar, it gives us energy. It takes us to a new level of consciousness and a deeper satisfaction with ourselves and our lives. So it's this amazing process that we can all go through to bring us better lives individually. What can you do to you know, change your life and the world? And we're impacting other people all the time. Whatever we do, we are in, we're all teachers. We're, every day we're, we're impacting other, other people by our words and our actions. John Perkins, let me tell you, I am on my third book, but I already started number three, number four, number five, and you just gave me the inspiration to take a few more minutes of the day to try to get them to hell finished. So, uh, John, <laughs> John Perkins, author and activist, 10 books, his new book, Touching the Jaguar. You'll have a link to it in uh, the blog post. Uh, we'll talk about it on the show as well. John Perkins, thank you so kindly for being on Politics Done Right. My pleasure. It's so great to be with you. Thank you for what you do. I, I love what you're doing and, and just and keep doing it. I'm Egberto Woolies. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I, I really enjoyed doing that interview as well. And yes, he got to the five questions that I, you remember what I always say, what should I have asked you that I didn't ask? Well, I didn't even have to do that. I've got five questions in his book. <laughs> Anyhow, beforehand, I'm not, I've got another video I want to show you real quickly. I don't only complain about bad, when the news media do bad things. I also give credit where credit is due. And yesterday, as I was watching Channel 13, it was like, Oh my God, that is how you do it. Check this out, we'll take it on the other side. All right, folks, I don't only report the bad things that the mainstream media does or do, I also report when they do a very good thing. Remember, news is a very important thing and it must be told in the proper context 
else bad decisions, including bad policy from government, will actually get get affected. So when I saw this today on Channel 13 in Houston, Texas, I was like, that is how you do it. You report the reality and you report it in the proper context. And this is exactly what they did at ABC 13. I want you to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side. Over the weekend, a man was shot after a concert at the Toyota Center after he tried to run away from an armed robber. It's a type of crime the city of Houston is actually seeing less of. It happened off of St. Joseph Parkway in Chinnivert. Our ABC 13 neighborhood safety tracker shows that robberies are actually down by 17% from average over the last three years. Following this attempted robbery, we wanted to find out where the most and the least robberies occur in the city. ABC 13's Dick Dottario dug into the data. Many of these same uh, channels during the election where we had a whole plethora of Republicans uh, running for judges were trying to give the impression that uh, crime was really on this high pathway up and in effect, they gave, they, they didn't, the media didn't, the mainstream media didn't say that, but they allowed the Republicans to get away when they were interviewed, when they made certain statements, to give the impression like we had out of control crime and that somehow these judges were responsible for it, which all of it was false. They never reported the context that in Texas, we have the wild, wild west that the Republican legislature has unleashed a, a, an army of guns into the streets of Houston and throughout Texas by allowing just about anybody to carry arms, whether they have a background, a proper type of check or not. They don't even need to go take the kind of lessons to learn how to use this. So they've unleashed thousands of guns into the streets of Houston and elsewhere in, in, uh, in the state of Texas and nobody, and nobody really appoints that if you have more guns, you have more crime as people have these guns all over the place in the cars with them. They don't show that uh, the, the reason we have these kids that are out on the streets doing bad things is that they have no other recourse for parents to help parents take care of these kids. I mean, there's a whole lot of issues when they talk about crime that they put into the wrong context. Well, this is a small piece here that Channel 13 did by putting the crime rate into context, where crime occurs, etc. And I hope that going forward, they do a bit more. They connect more of the dots that it is exactly conservative policies that increases crime and that the evidence for that is that in conservative states, crime rates are much higher than the most liberal state, most progressive state in this country, vis-a-vis California, New York. In all these red states, crime is rampant relative to uh, progressive states. And there is a reason for that policy. And the way that they report it on TV too often ignores the proper context that would then lead to create good policy. And that is what that is why I, I really wanted to give kudos to Channel 13 
on the way they reported that news. And and, and uh, I don't know, Eric, what else you want out of me. I reported the bond issue. I even brought a judge, a woman who won, the woman that I brought into my studio in K, at KPFT. She won her election. She's now the new judge. And she explained the lies about what Republicans were telling about crime and the lies of what the Republican was saying about the, the judges, etc. We explained it. There's not much more we can tell you. You can just go ahead and decide to believe the crap that conservatives tell folks who they believe are low information uh, listeners or low information people that don't need to be, they don't need to do any research. We just tell them how to think and they'll think and they'll go like what you're doing, Eric, which is a very bad thing. I presented the information. I brought the judge. At that time, she was a candidate for judge. She could speak. The judges can't. But she could because she was not yet a judge. I brought her in. She won her race. And all the folks that we supported won their races because we, in our little part, the little part that we did, we were able to bring the truth to the people in Harris County. And you know what? Folks won. All right, let's continue this. Uh, um, I want to go ahead and say, uh, bring this on the screen real quick. Read the story I have it in a blog about um, about what Republicans are saying. Oh, we are going to we are we are going we want to cut Social Security. We want to cut Medicare. We want to cut uh, entitlements. But you know what is sacred? The military budget. You know who can get money? Ukraine. You know who can get do all these things? All of these particular things that require sending our monies to the defense industrial complex. Oh, they'll be fine. They will be fine. Oh, and that, come on, let's, that is funny. I, I went ahead and I played with Skype today, and that was a mistake because it somehow got loaded. There we go. I, I got that out of the way. Anyhow, folks, so it is important for us to know this. It is important for us to not fall for the crapa. It is important for us to actually uh, learn that when you voted, and we told you this up front, when you voted for Republicans, uh, those of you who voted for Republican Congress people, you voted to cut yourself up. You voted for people who are not there to defend that which you have earned. You voted for people who are willing to give your money to kill, but also make sure that you're not getting your Social Security as you should if they get their way. Luckily, while for the next two years, in as much as there is a, a Republican Congress by a few votes... They don't stand a chance in hell in getting anything passed. So they will be there uh, doing whatever a clown cart would be doing in Congress. And they will be just making themselves available for people to see the degenerates that they really are. Now, that said, come 2024 is the real time. So therefore, we have a lot of work that we must do between now and 2024 to ensure that only good progressives, progressives that are going to make a difference in your lives, progressives that are going to make sure that your social security is, is, is there, that are going to make sure that your Medicare is there, that is going to make sure that your Medicaid is there. In other words, people who believe in humanity over a buck, that is what uh, it's, we, we are voting on in 2024. 2022 is 23 is gone. We're not going to accomplish anything between 23 and 24. But in 1920, in 2025, 
it is incumbent on us all to make sure we get the proper people uh, in, 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 uh, in, in office to ensure that we don't have the catastrophic results that, uh, that usually accompanies uh, conservative governance, which, as we all know by now, conservatives do not know how to govern. Folks, please remember to support our program. Uh, I'm going to put some items on the screen. I would like you to remember to support us at PayPal. If you want to support the program, please go to PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Alternatively, you can support us on Patreon. We need a lot of patrons now, politicsandright.com slash patron, politicsandright.com slash patrons. If you are on YouTube, go ahead and click that Share or rather click that join button, become a part of our PDR Posse. I know you 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 can you can you don't if 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 hundreds of you, thousands of you go ahead and say we are gonna buy politics done right a cup of coffee a month. That can really help us keep promoting the message, keep telling the truth, keep exposing the lies, keep exposing the thugs that create our economy. That is what we're here for. Please remember that. Uh, additionally, consider uh, purchasing our uh, our T-shirts and hats and stuff at our store, politicsandright.com slash store. And please get our books. A lot of what we cover here is covered very much more in detail in our books. Please consider going to politicsandright.com slash books and support us in all that we do. Please, I ask you that unless we do all of this, we will be seeding. We will be ceding uh, the country to conservative values that will do nothing but decimate the middle class as it has been doing for the last 40 years. Uh, so please, the all-encompassing place that you can find all of our support links are at politicsandright.com slash support, politicsandright.com slash support. Uh, let me call out the few people that came in a bit late. Brother Robert Davenport, welcome aboard. Carl Cox, welcome aboard. I also see, um, and if I miss any of you, it's because I'm going. Lee Grant, welcome aboard. Uh, Bridge MCP, I spoke to you already. Uh, what else have we got here? What else have we got here? Paravet, 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 paravet. Davenport, I think I called you out. Mike Cisak is in the house as well. Welcome, Mike. Tom C is in the house. Uh, we also have Richard Kaiser. Welcome aboard, Richard Kaiser. Daniel Lado is in the house. Uh, as well. And if I'm missing anybody, forgive me, but I got to get out of here, my dear brothers and sisters. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Oh. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.